Welcome to episode 443, uh, which is a best of rerun of an episode from 2011 with my guest, Rob Delaney. Uh, Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace. Turn your great idea into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind. With beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer service is there to help. So head to squarespace.com slash mental for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MENTAL to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I want to also give a shout out to uh, our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. They provide online counseling. I'm a huge fan of it. It's been helping me weekly for years. If you want to try it, I highly recommend it. Go to BetterHelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental so they know you came from this podcast. And just fill out a questionnaire. They'll match you up with a BetterHelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is a good fit for you and you need to be over 18. Today's episode is also sponsored by the Calm app. We all know that stress is a mofo and uh, it's a part of life and so let's face it and let's find a way to deal with it calm is the number one app to help you reduce your anxiety and stress and help you sleep better more more than 40 million people around the world have downloaded it if you guys go to calm.com slash mental make sure to include slash mental you'll get 25 percent off a calm premium subscription which includes guided meditations on issues like anxiety stress and focus including a brand new meditation each day sleep stories which are bedtime stories for adults and they help you relax Head to the fields of uh, southern France, the lavender fields uh, with Stephen Fry, or explore the moonlit jungles of Africa with Leona Lewis. Uh, Their adult bedtime stories are really uh, cool, really soothing, and I don't know anybody that couldn't use a little more soothing in their life. Um, They also have soothing music, if that's your thing, Uh, if you're into that kind of thing. So right now, you guys, the listeners, get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash mental. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash mental. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash mental. Get calm and stop stressing. And here now is that episode with Rob Delaney from 2011. Our, our uh, interview today with Rob Delaney is uh, a little on the short side for this show. Uh, probably for a lot of shows, it wouldn't be considered short. It's about 45 minutes. Um, I would have liked to have spent more time with him, but he's a, a super busy guy, and uh, we had to kind of squeeze uh, squeeze this into his uh, his busy schedule. Um, but I'm uh, I think it's a great interview, and uh, and uh, I'm I'm really happy that he was able to uh, to come by. And, uh, and talk with us. He's got a, a, a really interesting story and I think a great perspective. Um, many thanks to the uh, people at the Onion AV Club. They picked uh, our podcast as uh, one of the top 10 of 2011. And uh, they've given us great support along the way. And um, I really appreciate that. It, um, I feel, feel really uh, um, honored to be, to be put on that list with, uh, with so many other great podcasts. And uh, and I, I want to thank all of my guests who, who helped make, uh, made that possible over the last year. You guys know who you are. Some of you, uh, listen to this show. So if you're listening, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
As I've mentioned, there is a sur- the website for this show is uh, mentalpod.com, and there's a survey that you can take on there. There's two surveys, actually. There's the, uh, the basic survey, and then there's the shame and secrets survey. And I find myself really drawn to the reading. And, and you guys can not only take the survey, but you can see how other people filled out the, the survey. And uh, I find myself really drawn to the shame and secrets uh, survey because I relate to so much of what people write what people feel shame about in that in that one and um i want to read one that um i don't necessarily relate to but um it i relate to the feelings that this uh that this guy uh, has he, he his name is caged lion uh, i have people kind of put a nickname down cuz obviously they uh don't want to be referred to by their actual name. He is uh, straight. He's in his 30s. His uh, environment that he was raised in was totally chaotic. Uh, he was the victim of sexual abuse, and he reported it. Uh, and he writes, I was terrified that it was my fault. Um, what are your deepest, darkest thoughts? Not things you would act on, but things you're ashamed to admit you think about. He writes, sometimes I think that an abortion would have been the best for everyone involved. It's pretty fucking harsh. We we, we get some harsh thoughts on this, uh, on this podcast, and... Uh, that's right up there. That's that's some deep, uh, deep self hatred. Uh, what are your deepest, darkest secrets? Things you have done or things that have happened to you? He writes. I was sexually abused by my older siblings starting when I was a preteen. After several years, one of them became pregnant. Uh, when this disco- was discovered, social services intervened. I felt that I was to blame for all of it. One day, a state police detective and a social worker came to my house looking for my parents. I was home alone. I just knew that they were there to arrest me. They said they would return later. I closed the door and started to shake uncontrollably. To this day, I get nervous around police. After much chaos, I was living in the same home with the same people, ostracized and helping to raise a baby that I resented for the first year and loved dearly from then on. The secret was very poorly kept in the family. He puts in parentheses, not at all. Uh, Outside the family, everyone suspected, and school was hell. I was the uncle for several years until I was sued for paternity and child support. I'm raising my daughter on my own now. I have no contact with my family. I got married, had more children, got divorced. I'm in a relationship now. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes, I always feel that I am guilty of something, even when there is nothing to be guilty about. I feel like I'm a poor parent. I feel overwhelmed most days. I am terrified to move forward with anything in my life. Um, you know, I, I encourage, I, I don't have answers for 90% of the, the stuff uh, on this show. Um, what I do know is sometimes I'll hear somebody's story, and the one thing I do know for sure is that person could benefit from talking to a professional and talking about what is going on and letting some of that steam out. Um, And you sound like a prime candidate uh, who would benefit from going and getting some help. So uh, I I encourage you. um, You know, one of the things that, that, that comes up so much in this survey is sex between siblings. Um, which I would imagine, of course, people would feel secretive and, and shameful about it. Uh, but I think it happens a lot more than than people talk about. And um, and the other thing, uh, I think the other reason I wanted to read this this uh, survey responded to was uh, sexual 
uh, I don't know what the, the, the word would be, um, molestation by females um, is so much more widely, uh, it, it is happening so much more than people think that it is. I can't tell you how many friends of mine were molested by a female babysitter. Um, and I don't say that to um, to try to take women down or um, make them look bad, but I say it because I think a lot of men minimize it because they think, oh, if you had an erection, that means that you wanted it. Um, and And that's not the case. Your body can be turned on and your soul can be um, violated at the at the same time, and I think that that this guy, I, th- I think that's what he's experiencing, is you know he's blaming himself just because he got an erection and had sex with his older sister, um, that doesn't make what happens right. I, it, his letter is a little vague, so I can't really. I'm assuming it's his older sister. Um, I don't know if. Why he would have been arrested for that? It's, but I don't think we need to know really any of that stuff to know that he could benefit from going and talking to somebody about this and getting help. And, um, you know, the one thing, I, if I've taken anything out of all my years of therapy and support groups and psychiatrist visits, is the things that I assumed that were broken and irreparable about me were not. They were just unhealed and never underestimate the power of talking and connecting to another human being, especially a professional, to help you turn a corner and to help let a little glimmer of light into that darkness. Everybody I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. I couldn't stand you in the audition. I couldn't stand you. Yes, awful. I was drunk. And I learned that I could solve my problems. And said. Through violence, since I couldn't communicate. Lonely? Yes. I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. That's hurtful. And what was your role in the robbery? I mean, you never knew what you were going home to. I had a jar that had teeth in it. I was a wreck. Other people's teeth? Yeah. I'm here with Twitter monster Rob Delaney. Do you, you do you mind being called a Twitter monster? Uh, you can call me any kind of monster you want. <laughs> uh, Rob and I met briefly at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater probably, what, three, four years ago? We were on the same show? Yeah, I think around four years ago. And um, me uh, having a pot-addled brain... Uh, <laughs> Could uh, can vaguely remember meeting anybody, so uh, Rob had to re- had to remind me when I asked him to come do the podcast. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to to have come you, you come do it is uh, uh, when I heard you on Sklarbro uh, Country, you had mentioned you had talked about um, quitting drinking, and mm-hmm. ten years ago you had been was it a car accident? Uh, yeah, I uh, drank into a blackout, as I often did, and I woke up in, not woke up, I mean, I, I got physically got up, but I didn't get back up into consciousness, um, but I drove, I went for a drive, and I drove into the Department of Water and Power uh, <laughs> by the corner of Pico and Fairfax, and no one else was involved in the accident, but I broke both my arms uh, very badly. They had to have surgery on both of them, and my legs were damaged. They weren't broken, but they had to be in stabilizers, which are these like kind of ankle to thigh Velcro steel enforced 
socks that so you can't bend your knees because they had to kind of they were open to the bone and so they sewed them up so none of my limbs worked and i was in a wheelchair in jail and uh, oh my God. yeah and i would uh periodically since i since my arms didn't work i couldn't hold on to the armrests of the wheelchair and since my knees couldn't bend they just sort of stuck straight out and periodically just the weight of my body would pull me down gradually out of the wheelchair and i would fall onto the floor of the jail and my hospital gown would come up and it would expose my uh, private parts to everyone there and then you know whoever was around you know guards or other, other folks would just pick me up and put me back in my chair nicely and uh it was then at that moment that i thought it was time to probably make a lifestyle change <laughs> that may be the greatest opening to <laughs> the show that we've uh, that we've done so far uh how long were you in jail for uh not long under 24 hours oh, okay um, you know a day i would have been in longer you usually are in la if you get a dui yeah but uh they were like we can't take care of you we're just gonna bring you home and then so two cops brought me home uh to my apartment and i remember my landlady was outside of the building when i got dropped off and she saw the cops take me out of the back and i'm in a bloody hospital gown in the leg stabilizers with arms that don't work and i'm six three and oh my face is bloodied from the airbag and uh so bruises and stuff like that. and she's looking at me just stock still with her mouth open and there's cops on either side of me leading me back into my apartment and i look at her and i go everything's fine <laughs> so yeah that's how that uh unfolded i love i love the the everything's fine when, <laughs> when the elephant is just shitting all over the room that's yeah that is it that is its own particular brand of sickness mm-hmm. um were you raised in a household where uh, emotion and fear and pain wasn't kind of discussed not really i can't point to any of my behavior uh with booze and say oh you know pin that on you know, any bad habits that I was taught by my mom or dad, they're pretty good people. Um, everybody has their hangups, you know, yeah. but, but no, you could say what you were thinking or feeling in my house and, yeah. and it wouldn't be crushed, but you did bring up an interesting point. The, my saying everything was fine. It was, I had been trying to quit drinking for years before that. And it's, when did you first know you had a problem? Um, early high school like probably around 15 i got suspended at a young uh, yeah at age around 15 or 16 uh for being drunk in school and then the guidance counselors and the vice principal were like you should get help you shouldn't be drunk in the day as a boy (laughs) and i thought you know relax but then a few months later i got like blackout drunk again and then i thought i don't want to be like this and i remember thinking i probably shouldn't drink or i shouldn't drink so much you know it started to kind of wrestle with it but one thing i want to say is that it's funny that uh you know the my saying <laughs> everything's okay um that was like i knew clearly it wasn't okay but it's good because as i said i had wanted to quit for so long but it took getting to the point where i was so messed up that on site you could see that this was a person who needed real help. You know, like I couldn't, there was no way to hide it anymore. Yeah. You know, I always, I always say that alcoholism is the best uh, prosecuting attorney 
ever because it makes such a convincing case why you should have that next drink, why you're a piece of shit, why oh, you yeah, should yeah, be yeah. in anxiety and doubt and fear, etc. For sure. And you will believe that voice because it warps reality mm-hmm. to, to make you believe that. And until you are presented with a counter argument as powerful, yeah, you will continue to drink. Yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky. I kind of, kind of symbolically, I had my arms were broken, both <laughs> of them. You know, so I was quite uh, powerless, and I needed that. You know, I needed people to look at me to be able to see me from across the street at night in the rain and go that guy's a fuck up like i need it it had to be just open to the public you know like undisputably this guy's a disaster if he drinks we're all in trouble was the obsession to keep drinking was that still there even though you had known game game over no because because as i because i had wanted to quit you know it's like you want to quit and then finally you're like oh i get it i mean really i got to the point where you know especially with somebody who drinks a lot you can be like oh well sure i might die who cares but when i realized oh wow my drinking will kill other people if i keep drinking then i was like oh i don't want to drink that bad you know i was like because you get to the point where you don't care about yourself anymore and that's no you know nobody's gonna write about that in the paper right but you know oh really the drunk guy (laughs) drank until he died who cares (laughs) but if you kill other people you know i didn't want to be that i liked i liked everybody else <laughs> so uh we were we were talking before we started rolling uh and you were saying that you you've battled uh depression mm-hmm. uh for for a long time can you can yeah. you kind of talk about that sure. and how, how it manifests itself sure um i think the tendencies existed uh in the past i can remember a couple dark episodes uh in my college years um, but then after I quit drinking and had been sober for about a year, I think like the fight or flight syndrome kind of powered me through that first year of not drinking. And then once I finally, you know, months into uh, sobriety after all the court stuff was settled, which took months, plus I was sentenced to, uh, I would have had to go to jail for quite a while because my, I drank, um, the blood alcohol level that they got out of me was 0.271. Oh, my God. Which, it's 0.08 is illegal in California, so 0.271, that's three and a half times the legal limit. And uh, that once you get over 0.20, they just double whatever the sentence would have been for a normal drunk, yeah. <laughs> like a 0.15 or whatever. Right, right. So, so I had to go to classes for six months, and I for four and a half months, I was in the care of the state of California. Uh, I had the choice of jail or uh, jail for a while or uh, a month in rehab and three and a half months in a sober living halfway house. Mm-hmm. I had not enjoyed jail in the brief time that I was there, so I chose but the other stuff. But did you give it a chance, Rob? <laughs> did I give jail? I gave it the college a try. A lot of people don't give jail a good chance. Yeah, you have to. They judge. <laughs> I know. And uh, I figured, well, you know what it was, is even when I was in, uh, rehab was totally pleasant. But the halfway house I was in, there were people there who were just getting out of prison and stuff. And there were tough guys, and there was fighting, and I both my arms were broken. So I really had to rely on, like, I had to shore up my mental defenses because I would sometimes have to, like, talk people out of beating me up. And oh so my God. I had to be like, well, here's, let's think of some reasons why you shouldn't do that. And uh, they'd be like, oh, whatever, and go beat somebody else up. But, like, 
So <laughs> I, I forgot where I was going with that, but I... Uh, well, we were talking about de- depression and how it manifests right. itself and your, your history of it. And uh, so I, anyway, I'm sure it'll all come back to that. But yeah, so, so for about a year into... Oh, right, right, right. The fight or flight syndrome is what I was saying. Yeah. So it's several, almost six months in living in places that were not a house or a home or an apartment. Mm-hmm. And then also all the classes that I was sentenced to. Mm-hmm. And then all the court stuff. And then all the surgeries. Because I had to have surgeries on both my arms. And uh, they did them one at a time so that I would have use of one arm at a time. Mm-hmm. So it was almost a year before I was like a regular dude working again and all that and living in an apartment. And um, so after that, um, then my mind kind of fell apart and went into, you know, I think what would be called like major depressive disorder, unipolar, you know, very, very bad suicidal depression uh, where I thought all the time of suicide, even though I was going to, you know, talk therapy and exercising and eating well and working out and not drinking and everything. I mean, I was doing living life reasonably well, you know, yeah. and, uh, everything that you had control over to improve your mood, you were doing, you were yeah. doing. And, uh, so yeah, so then I got, uh, depressed and it was, uh, it was a lot worse than jail. I, I think about, about it this way. It's, uh, jail, you'll get out eventually you know a broken bone will knit but depression or other mental disorders and stuff are that's the worst you know that's the worst kind of because that's like a prison cell that you carry around with you you know and uh so after a while you just need to not feel sorry for yourself rob (laughs) don't you love that one I don't, I try not to judge people who say stuff like that, you know, uh, they don't understand and that's fine. I'm glad, I'm glad that they don't. I wouldn't <laughs> want people to, you know, my ultimate wish, uh, when I was going through that, um, and it happened more than once. Um, I had two major like smackdowns in the last 10 years, the most recent being like three three or four years ago, around when we met. I think when you and I first met, I had been fine, but just even looking into your eyes threw me into a spiral. And uh, (laughs) Were you on meds at that point? No, I started going. I started, my psychologist said, you should see a psychiatrist, and so I did. And uh, How did you get out of the first uh, suicidal um, medication? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, first, first one. So you sought medication. One, it was so bad. I mean, I, did, I couldn't sleep at night. Describe some of the thoughts and feelings that that, that you had. for Because I know there are listeners to this program that mm-hmm. have never experienced depression and want to understand it better. Sure. Or at the very least be entertained right. <laughs> by other people's um, uh, battles. Yes, I know. And it's funny because as a comedian, I generally try to be entertaining. But right now, I think it would be more useful to be honest about this. Yeah. Um, basically, the symptoms for me of depression, and I can only speak to my own case were uh were quite physical uh i couldn't sleep at all and i normally sleep pretty well um but no sleeping at all i would wake up uh and in the morning and have diarrhea immediately really yep i would go to brush my teeth and when the toothbrush when the bristles on the toothbrush touched my tongue i would vomit i what oh yeah um i felt physical pain uh constantly like a thrumming physical pain throughout my body 
And my thoughts were just kill yourself on a loop um, and thought of different ways to do that, why I should do that, how the world would be way better if I did do that. And um, what kept you from, from doing it? Because, my God, the picture you right. paint. Yeah, it did. It very much sucked. Um, what kept did you me... have any kind of support system, a family? or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, would talk, uh, I would talk to my family, who they live in Boston, and I would talk to them uh, regularly. Uh, because the funny thing was is that even though I had been a drunk uh, for a long time before that, I was always like intellectually curious and I you know I read a lot I loved to exercise even when I was drinking. I like to do new things I like to travel mm-hmm. um, and you know be creative in various ways. So there was sort of it was almost like, there were embers inside of me. Uh, I've I've always been like an optimistic person, mm-hmm. and even though the physical symptoms of depression were unadulterated horror, yeah. um, there was somewhere these uh, where I f- felt like. First of all, let me say this: I I would write down the way that I was thinking, and I'd be like, "Let's pretend that you're not you for a second. and I would look at them and I'd be like. Uh, that's crazy what you're writing. You know what I mean? Like, even though I might be envisioning my head being blasted apart by a shotgun or, you know, drowning, Mm -hmm. I would think, you know what? I kind of am reviewing my life and I'm looking at people and at no point can I find, you know, people being like, you should definitely kill yourself, (laughs) you know, or like, oh, I wish you were dead. You know, it wasn't. There might be people who didn't like me, but there wasn't like a large lobby. Of- this and this wasn't on a continuum. This was just kind of a yeah period. You know, now and again, somebody would be like, "Oh fuck, I really wish you were a corpse." No, that you know. So, so I kind of was like, "All right, look, let's because it can be good because we get. I still do. Everybody does. You know, you're we're, we think." You know, we, we, it's hard to step out of ourselves and, you know, put ourselves in other shoes and, and look at ourselves. And so I thought, this seems crazy. So why don't I put it off and I'll try, I'll do what these people are saying, which are stay in regular communication with the people that I care about, you know, eat food, even though I don't want to, even if I throw it up, eat it anyway, you know? Um, you literally had no appetite. Oh, not at all. And oh, like, and like sexually, I didn't even think about sex. Yeah. Like you know, not that I was attractive to women at that point. Like I was <laughs> like I weighed like forty pounds less. I'm not kidding, and uh, was like just you know <laughs> sunken eyed. Had just I remember when they took one of my arms out of the casts. It was so skinny, and where they had put in a big plate in my forearm bulged out. And they took the they took the cast off, and I just started to cry. I was like, I don't have a normal looking arm. Now it took like. Two Two years to like put muscle back on it, like to be able to right. do a push up again. But now my arms, as far as I know, don't make people cry. I don't <laughs> cry when I look at them. And so I mean, it was just, it was awful. And but anyway, so yeah, so my I went to a psychologist. I went to uh, talk therapy. And you know what? It would be good at this point to also mention that uh, I lost my health insurance after the car accident. So I had to. I had to apply. I applied to three wonderful organizations that were just amazing. There was the uh, 
MAP, the Musician's Assistance Program, Music Cares, which is like affiliated with the Grammys. Both of them are actually. And then the Society of Singers. And each of them, because I didn't have health insurance, afforded me uh, a little bit of dough to pay for therapy. And I even paid for my surgeries on credit cards. My second surgery I paid for with three credit cards, and it would take me years to pay this off. So I just mentioned that because... Were you, were you a musician before this? I sang. That's what I studied in college, and so I did a lot of musical theater afterwards and stuff, and they were and I had like made money making music, so... So they that was enough for them, you know. I see. And but, but they wouldn't necessarily take anyone applying for No, it. they wouldn't. Uh, okay. But there might be some, you know. I mean, like, for example, I'm, and this is not a joke, one of my my emergency room bill uh, was huge, of course, because uh, it wasn't just like a, yes, yeah, sew up his thing and send him on his way. It was like right. lots of cops, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, multiple limbs being worked on, all kinds of crazy x-rays and stuff. And so... So that was a huge bill. And I remember bringing in, I was like, I can't pay for this. Or if I do, it's going to take years. So they were like, well, they had a special office for people who have no money that you could go to. And I went to them in the hospital and I brought, and this was like a year after the accident when I'm still negotiating with all my, <laughs> and I know this, I know this is boring and you're probably like, I wish he would. No, no it's not <laughs> oh, okay. because one of the things that contributes to the depression and the hopelessness sometimes is that you don't know a way out and you exactly. believe there is no way out. So this is perfect. This right. is great. This is okay. exactly what people well, need Well, I just hear. mentioned this because like if you host this podcast because you care about people and you've been through things yourself and you know, it's funny for like a person like you or I, and I'm sure lots of other people, you would much rather be caught in a bank robbery where bullets are flying than have to pay like a stack of bills you know mm -hmm. what i mean because like oh gunfire hey that was neat you know serotonin burp, i enjoy right. that but a stack of bills you're like oh my God, it's gonna take all day it's like you know? I, I always liken it to lifting anvils if lifting anvils also felt phony yeah exactly right so <laughs> so i'm just so i just say this because like you, the quagmire of all the crap you have to deal with you know and it's good it, like if you get a dui you should be tied down and 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 poked out with a stick and it, there should be many levels of unpleasantness yes but if it also is accompanied with you know like alcoholism and mental illness and stuff you know there's just ways to deal with that. You know, one ingredient is patience. Some days you should do nothing. If you're like, maybe I should go to the my creditor's house and blow it up with a bomb. Or just do nothing that yeah. day would be a good thing to do. Anyway, so the, uh, I'm mentioning this long, boring, drawn-out story because I it's, went to them not. and I brought three years' worth of tax returns to this office at the hospital. And they were like, wow, you're very much our broke. And uh, so there's this group of nuns in Kansas. How insane is this? And they paid the bill for me. What? Now, the way that they found out about this is this, there was just like this philanthropic group that was looking for people to help. And they contacted this office. So I mentioned that because that's insane. Right. And you would never think, Oh, maybe some nuns in Kansas will pay my bills, you know, <laughs> but sometimes things like that happen. And so like, it, it can also be in depression. You'll be like, Oh, nothing good will ever happen to me. Yeah. You don't know. Maybe nothing ever good will, but also maybe nothing never bad, ever bad will. 
or bad ever will. I'm, I'm not good at words. But you know what I mean? Like, you can't see the you future. You can't predict it. You can't. And the universe is so complex. Yeah. Trying to predict how it's going to unfold it is not only illogical, it's the height of arrogance. It was arrogant, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's wrong. And so, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. There's going to be good stuff, bad stuff. They're both going to happen, so chill out, asshole, and, you know. Yeah, maybe try to focus on the, on the good stuff. Yeah, you know, because we have magnifying minds and what we focus on grows so and then you extrapolate it out into the future Mm -hmm. and uh you know uh, there there is few things worse than the combination of imagination and pessimism oh good god no and pessimism just doesn't make sense you know i don't proselytize i don't try to convert people to my way of thought whatever it is it's not like i have some big elucidated belief system but you know uh, pessimism just doesn't work doesn't make sense ultimately in the final analysis yeah it may feel cool especially yeah. when you're in your 20s because you don't risk anything mm-hmm. by being pessimistic but yeah. uh it's ultimately it's a dead-end street and it and it just kind of uh somebody had one time uh had, had a uh, an analogy for like hitting your your bottom uh smoking weed and they said it's like getting kicked to death by a rabbit <laughs> and i feel like pessimism is kind of that way too you don't lose a big chunk immediately but mm-hmm. it just like sandpaper wears away mm-hmm. at the joy of, of yeah. life yeah, i'm not a fan yeah uh so so you've had this you were diagnosed diagnosed then as being what uh i think major depressive disorder or unipolar whatever mm-hmm. and, and uh and they put you on meds yeah they did yeah they put me on an ssri a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor and uh did that work it did it did work. Can you um, can you talk about what before and what well, we heard before? Can you talk about what you began to feel when the meds started working? Um, you know what's funny is like the only like for me, there's not side effects to these drugs uh, that I'm really aware of um, that uh, that I don't deal with. Um, but one weird thing that happened, I remember like after like a day, after the first or second day, I remember felt like I got struck by lightning and I had a memory uh, of walking to catch the bus home from middle school. And uh, it was like, I was, it was like, and I was there walking down Village Street in Marblehead, Massachusetts and like all the smells and sights and everything. And that was like, whoa something's happening up in synapse town wow and uh and it only happened once but it was that's like one of that's like one of three major weird things that have ever happened in my brain you know that that you know could have been a small stroke i don't know but uh then i remember very slowly after that uh i never noticed anything weird again after that other than i very gradually felt better um, my poops began to become more solid, uh, less diarrhea. I'm always a fan of less diarrhea. Always. Uh, I would. I vomited less and less, uh, brushing my teeth. The physical pain in my body uh, slowly went away. By the way, I love the catch-22 of vomiting, brushing your teeth. You vomit, exactly. then you need to brush your teeth again. I know. And I'm not a model. You know, I was skinny at that point, too, so I didn't need to be <laughs> vomiting. Um, but... So that happened. Oh, you know, and I noticed women again. I remember jerking off for the first time after like <laughs> six weeks or something. Yeah. And being like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, never, I hope I'm never depressed again because I love to masturbate. <laughs> um, but uh, unless you live in a monastery and you're actively meditating towards 
enlightenment, you know, like in this life or something, yeah. then you should be sexual if you're a person. There's no where to stuff that down. If it's not, that should be healthy. That's kind of like a canary in a coal mine type of thing. Like, you right. should want to fuck people. <laughs> you should want to jerk off. Not all the time. It shouldn't dominate your life. But, like, if your sex is off, you know, people will need to get their fuck on. Yeah. And so I do think it is sort of a, a litmus test as to... My mom has that crocheted on the wall. Yeah, you need to get your fuck on. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's that's beautiful. Yeah. Is that on Etsy? <laughs> it is. Uh, so fast forward to uh, the meds are working. Yes. Uh, you're sober. Yep. What then is the next battleground in Rob's head? Um, I mean, after that, it's, uh, let's see. Or is there none? No, I mean, there was one, there was a second depressive episode several years later. Uh, Even though you were on the meds? Well, I went, we dialed it down, mm -hmm. and uh, so I was on less, because there's the thing where, like, look, I wish I didn't have to take pills each morning, you yeah. know? Uh, and so, you know, ego will come in, and I'll be like, hey, I've been feeling good for a while, why don't I, you know? And... Is there anybody that doesn't go through that that's on meds? Everybody, I think, does that. Not that I've met or spoken to. Really? Know? No, no, that's what I'm saying. I, oh, don't, oh, I, I don't know anyone. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, everybody uh, at some point tries to go off. With right. You. And uh, and that didn't work. You know, I it, we and then the second episode that I had was as bad or worse by a little bit than the first. And uh, it was... It's interesting because I... After I needed health insurance, right? After these surgeries, I was like, Jesus Christ, United States of America, I need health insurance. Right. So I had to, I got a shitty job that had benefits, and I started working at a company. I got a job as an accounting temp, right? And then I got hired to be some ad sales guy's assistant um, at this company, and then they wound up uh, creating MySpace. So it was working in the dot com wackiness i had health insurance and i gradually just sort of failed upward in this company um i would get passed around from department to department till i wound up being uh i think a director of business development for a division of the company and so i was buying and selling ads and making a lot of money and i had an office and a skyscraper and it was crazy and I didn't like was, it. Yeah. No enjoyment. No, I hated it a lot. And, um, what did you, you feel, you felt like you should be doing something creative. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I went to college. I mean, I had been, my first professional acting gig was when I was 17. So at this point, um, 26, seven, eight, nine. So I kind of in the wilderness, you know, as far as, you know, my life path viewed from now would look like, I mean, I'm glad it all happened during that time. I got married, which was awesome. And, you know, a lot of good things happened, but professionally I fucking hated what I did. Yeah. And, uh, so around four years, a little over four years ago now, I was like, fuck it. This one company, I was now at a makeup company. I had left that company and two companies later, I'm director of business development for a, uh, makeup company and kind of like took them online. And so that was, didn't enjoy it. Um, and so I decided when that company folded and they laid me and a bunch of other people off, I was like, I'm a comedian now. <laughs> and yeah. so, I mean, I'd been doing lots of improv and stand up, but I was like, this is all I'm going to do. 
and you so, had enough money saved up that you could uh, that I could make the leap. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I went through that very quickly. Uh, so I had money and it was great. And my wife was like, give it a shot. And, uh, yeah. then after a little while we were like, okay, so I've spent all the money that I saved. Um, and it sold like, yeah, I mean, at the, <laughs> I was like ready to, I was getting my real estate license. I took all the classes, but then just kept pushing the test back. I was taking investment classes at UCLA extension. Mm-hmm. I read probably 30 books on, uh, all kinds of investing and real estate investing. I was looking at like duplexes and triplexes to buy and stuff. Crazy stuff that now I look back, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that didn't happen. Anyway, so I started doing comedy and, um, going, doing shows every night, you know, and writing and trying to get hired on shows and stuff, putting together the packet and all that. And, um, and, it was hard as it is, of course, you know, yeah. and I was fortunate to be able to kind of rely on sort of, I sort of hit the ground running in the sense that I had performed a lot in the years past across a variety of, you know, formats. I had been on TV. I had been, um, cut out of movies. Mm-hmm. I had, I had done a lot in, you know, hundreds of improv shows in Hollywood. I had done, uh, toward the country and doing musical theater and stuff. So I was very comfortable on stage, you know, mm-hmm. but I had to still, there's no shortcut. So I, it took a, it took a lot of work. And after, uh, a, a while just, and reducing my, uh, medication, then I was just like, Whoa, what's happening here? And I, I went, got into another depression. So we adjusted the medication, uh, and added, uh, did some experimenting, which was incredibly painful, and then oh, it's the worst. Being between meds yeah. is the fucking worst because yeah. you're going through the withdrawal of the one that yeah. w- that you're trying to get off of, and you're experiencing uh, the side effects uh, of the new one. Because mm-hmm. a lot of drugs you will acclimate to, but there may be months of sleeplessness uh, or a month of sleeplessness with the with the new yeah. one, and and on top of that, you're not even sure. Either mm-hmm. decision is going to work, yeah. and you may be back at square one two months after that. So you gotta, yeah, you gotta be patient, and you gotta take care of yourself during that time. Uh, th- I just flashed to during the first depressive episode that I had. Um, I read the book when I couldn't sleep because if you can't sleep, I don't know if people know this. If you're lying in bed and you can't sleep, fucking get out of bed. You yeah. know, don't. Plus, you don't want to like associate your bed with sleeplessness. So I'd go read, and I remember one book I read that really helped me a lot was a uh, called Carter Beats the Devil by Glenn David Gold about this uh, magician around the turn of the last century. It was so weird and good and detailed and beautiful. I remember that book. That book is like a good friend to me. It was like a book that like yeah. held my hand when yeah. I was really having Isn't a tough that time. Awesome when you find something like that. Yeah. The, the the Beatles anthology book was mm-hmm. that for me. Yeah, it's funny. And by on the the flip side of that coin that I would also like to add is like if you do deal with depression and and this also happens I know to victims of sexual abuse and stuff like this, there are some things that you should take care of yourself by just not absorbing and not paying attention to like you know like i don't really want to spend i don't want to like make the deposit into my mind of reading too much about like suicide and other stuff like that i try to fight it i might say the words suicide a lot but it's always in the goal of trying to help people not do it you know so so what you're saying is the thing that you find to 
distract or entertain yourself or to be good to yourself, make sure that it's not kind of feeding what it is you're trying to get exactly. away from. For example, like William Styron wrote a book called Darkness Visible about mm-hmm. depression. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people read that who'd be like, oh, yeah, wow, it really paints a picture. I don't think you should read that yeah. if you deal with depression. I read, would like to go back and unread it. <laughs> read something lighter, like Sophie's Choice. Exactly. <laughs> Except it's funny that you say that, because like literally read Sophie's Choice instead, because although there might be some people who commit suicide in that book, it's just about other stuff. It's not just about depression. So right. like you can consume enough writing and film and whatever about depression if you have depression. You can reach your limit. And so I would say be careful with that stuff. Yeah, because while you do want information to help you understand what it is that you're going through, you mm-hmm. you also need something to kind of escape yeah. escape from it. Yeah. Um, you you seem to be a, a person that uh, doesn't do five. You do zero or ten with, yeah, with I, things. Yeah, I, I often wish that wasn't the case in certain things. You know, I have to be a comedian who th- is very grateful to be making his living from comedy. I I have done some, you know, sort of self-analysis and I have character traits that are responsible for putting me where I am, some of which are positive uh, and some of which are negative, you know, and obsessive and weird. Yeah, uh you I, I heard you on the Sklarbro talking about when Twitter first came out. Um mm-hmm. you have how many Twitter followers? Uh right now I have like 260 something thousand I think that's fucking amazing it's ridiculous and you built them up the hard way people didn't know necessarily who you were it's not like Mm -hmm. you were a celebrity that people followed over no you you just tweeted funny shit consistently every single day well thank you for saying that um i i will say yeah whether you like or don't like what i tweet and there are certainly plenty who don't i i did build that house myself (laughs) as it were you know um yeah so and i do that too much i still do it too much you know Uh, my wife will be like put that fucking phone down and she's the correct one i don't hear that and i'm like oh you nag i'm like oh you normal human you are correct you know thank you for saying that how often do you say the the right thing to her and recognize that she's right uh i'm getting better at it i mean there's great things about being married and being in a relationship with somebody for a long time where you do get better things about the other person that you're like oh if that were a physical part of them i would cut it off with a bone saw (laughs) you literally are grow to realize that that's actually the person that you must need to be with because they have a lesson that you can really use you know so so my wife is fucking awesome and uh if we come to um you know a disagreement about something she's very frequently the correct one i mean i am too sometimes it's not i'm not some like mouth breathing idiot in the corner being washed by her with a hose and brush (laughs) being like be fit for the world you know i mean she's a person too but um she's been very helpful even in things that are shitty about her that's what's so great about marriage is like everything that you do for each other can can be a gift even if it's awful (laughs) can you talk about uh and i don't know if this is a difficult thing to to discuss but um what the for somebody out there who lives with somebody Mm -hmm. who has depression do you have any any advice i would say uh or any type of mental illness yeah i mean anything you know 
patience in this time is going to be very, very helpful. You know, you're not patience with that person, patience with that person. Uh, you can't fix them, you know, so you owe it to both of you to encourage them to talk to other people. You owe it to them to leave for eight, 12, 24 hours at a time. If you want and go hang out with your much more enjoyable friend to be with Susie, you know, you definitely, you have to take care of you at that time because the person living with a depressed person is going through a very difficult thing. So you have to be good to you. You have to kind of go through the sort of finances of your relationship and look at all the good deposits that depressed person might have made in the past and been like, oh yeah, that time we went to New Hampshire, that was fun. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That time he surprised me at work with flowers or whatever. You know, that, I mean, like, you literally have to be like, oh yeah, even though this person is tremendously unattractive, just repellently (laughs) awful right now, uh, you have to sort of take the long view and realize that uh, this is one of those difficult times that you knew you would go through when yeah. you signed up for a human relationship. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, patience, love, and... And and know that you are dealing with someone whose reality is being warped, yeah. and, but believes that that is reality, with, with yeah. that warpedness. Yeah. And, and so... Give give them a little bit of try not to try not to judge the fact that they are seeing everything through a funhouse mirror. Yeah, and you know, but but the, by the same token, much like the way you would deal with an alcoholic or whatever, they still have to adhere to normal human standards. They might be quote sick, they might be hurting, but they should still eat the fucking meal that you made. They should still bathe. You know what I mean? Like you can't. They should they should do what they have control over to yeah. try to better themselves. Yeah. If they are just going to sit, you know, on the couch for years in self pity, then get out. They fucking absolutely yeah. get out. Um. But a lot of people don't know where, and I'm not saying that I know where that line is, but it, you know there is a line somewhere between mm-hmm. when you stick with somebody and when you don't. Uh, yeah. But if you're not talking about it with somebody, you're never going to find where that line is. Right. And do you see that forward motion in them? Do you see them wanting to get better? Right. If you do, then you know stick around for yeah. as long as you feel like it, really. You right. know, that's what I'd say. Right. So, so what... Uh, what are the the battles that you're uh, you're dealing with uh, nowadays, if you have any? Uh, well, I mean, I'm a dad uh, and I'm a husband, and those are the most important things, you know. Uh, so, one thing that's weird about having a kid is like your capacity to love another thing is violently stretched out. Um, and that's uncomfortable, you know. I mean, like you literally, I li- wish that I loved my son less sometimes, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, are you shitting me? Like the amount of feeling that you can feel towards another person. It's true. What they say. You that, don't that's got to make you feel really vulnerable because you're like, what if something happens to this person? I have all this emotion. Oh, exactly. In. No, literally like my wife and I are like, we have to have more. Now you understand why like settlers had 12 kids. Cause four right. of them were going to die. 
Like, right. and I'm kind of not, I'm not kidding. You know, right. it's sort of funny to say that, but I very much <laughs> like, we got to, oh, we're like, fuck, we got to have more now. Yeah. How many kids do you have? One. One. Yeah. So plans we definitely for, need to have more. Plans for, uh, plans for more? Yes. We would like to have yeah. more. And, uh, and, and your career has taken off since you've, uh, I, I think you may be one of the first examples of somebody, uh, having a writing career, uh, kind of take off from Twitter. Yeah. I'm very lucky, uh, because of that, because like I was trying to get high hired on every show you can name I was submitting to and you know I'd go through different get to different levels with each of them you know and they'd or some of them would be like hey fantastic you know or we're not hiring now or we're gonna whatever or fuck you you suck it out of here you know but they're different things and uh, so I was like you know what I'm gonna just write anyway I was gonna I'm gonna write for me if other people like it great my kind of motivator was like you don't have to think that I'm funny but if you say that I don't work hard, then I'll punch you in your figurative face. Yeah. Not literal, because I abhor violence. Yeah. But I will draw a picture of your face and punch it if you say it. So <laughs> I, the work ethic had to be there. The funny, uh, hope so, you know? Yeah. And so that's... So yeah, so gradually that did turn into jobs. Yeah, I did, because of that, get hired to write on different television shows yeah. and um, that and magazines and stuff. And so, and you're currently uh, currently employed right now. Um, I well, I it's kind of weird. I figured nominally, yeah, I just delivered a pilot to Comedy Central that I shot and you know wrote and produced and awesome. So that was great. Um, and then I'm writing a book under contract right now. Uh, That's fantastic. Yeah. So I'm very, very lucky and happy uh, because of those things. Um, but, you know, b b the nature of this podcast, but I, I found out about the book deal and the pilot deal. Both. I found out about the pilot. Mm -hmm. Then a few days later, my. S no, I'm sorry. Found out about the book deal. Then literally, not a week, but three days later, my son was born. And then three days after that, sold the pilot. So wow. my life changed very dramatically uh, in the earlier part of this year. And I am glad that it all happened around the birth of my son because the, he's more important than any of those things. You know, They're t absolutely great and very important. Right. But speaking of like depression and alcoholism and stuff... You know, people that people like me can freak out over good news too. You know, um, and so I'm glad that I had that that my son was born because when you say people can freak out about good news, how do you how do you mean? Like you can be like go nuts. You know, you can get high. You can go on a spending spree. You can because you want more of that. Yeah, good you can screw it up. You know, I mean, so easy to screw up opportunities. Um, so that's cool oh and then another thing that i was gonna say about when my son was born i remember being at the hospital and being like holy shit i am definitely gonna die because you realize like oh you just saw a life begin yeah. and you kind of get in touch with like beginnings and endings and you're in a hospital and i was yeah. like i'm super definitely gonna die <laughs> and that was comforting <laughs> no i mean it wasn't like i mean i knew and i had even you know flirted certainly with death in the past but uh knowing seeing a life start was like whoa life will also end and so enjoy it while you've got it you know yeah. what i mean well i think that's a that's a great note to end on and i think uh you are a great example of what can happen if somebody decides to face 
their challenges head on and say to themselves, what do I have to do that can make this better? What do I have control over? Well, I'm going to put the best effort forward I can over those things and then hope that the universe is going to help me with the rest of those. Well, thanks. You know, I try to look at it. I try not to be a victim of dualistic thought. Things aren't good or bad that I really shouldn't drink alcohol. That's not good or bad. You know, let's let's call it alcoholism to have it be simple. Alcoholism isn't bad. Accepting it or not accepting it, that would be where a bad could come in. You yeah. know, I have it, so don't drink. You know, depression, I got to treat it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to hate it. I don't hate alcoholism. I don't hate depression. You know, they're powerful forces. I respect them, you yeah. know, but I got to listen to them so that I can be of use, you know? Yeah. And ultimately, I think that's really the 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 best peace comes from feeling of, of, of use that I've found. Yeah, you got to work, you know. I think Chekhov said, somebody asked him, like, why are we here? And he was like, oh, to work. And I agree with that. We're not, not here to relax or yeah. you're eat pie. You should eat pie, but we're here to work. Yeah. Well, uh, Rob Delaney, thanks uh, thanks for coming by. I appreciate it. I I, uh, I know you got somewhere you got to uh, you got to go to, uh, but uh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for very much. By. Thanks All for right. having me, Paul. And I'm going to go get the door. I cannot believe it has been eight years since we recorded that episode. Uh, there's still a little bit more of that episode to go, but I want to give a couple of shout-outs to our sponsors for this week. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by Crazed. It's a new podcast created by the National Mental Health Innovation Center, and it highlights big new ideas in the world of mental health, from how to transform mental health treatment to prevention and stigma reduction, and the visionaries behind these ideas. Uh, the two hosts are uh, Matt Vogel and Rick Rekadal. Matt is the founder and executive director of the NMHIC and also a former professional stand-up. And Rick is uh, or was the senior executive at DreamWorks Animation. And their guests are familiar with the impact of mental health, both personally and professionally. And you'll find compelling stories, information about cutting-edge mental health technology, and just great dialogue about difficult issues. Guests include policymakers, nonprofit leaders, researchers, technologists, filmmakers, and more. And the ideas and stories presented on Crazed are the kind that you dig and will probably be talking about long after you've heard the episode. So you can find Crazed anywhere you get your podcasts or on crazedpodcast.com. Subscribe and listen today. Today's episode is also sponsored by Squarespace. Turn your dream into a reality with Squarespace. They make it easier than ever to launch your passion project. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers and the ability to customize just about anything with a few clicks. You can easily make a beautiful website yourself, and I've done it. It's super intuitive. It's simple. Um, I did want to uh, host my musical snippets and pictures I've taken of dogs. It's uh, paul-gilmartin.squarespace.com, and I'll put a link to that under the show notes for this if you want to see it, but uh, it's nice. Squarespace is just a great product. Uh, Their e-commerce functionality, it lets you sell anything online, and analytics help you grow your site in real time. Everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box. Check it out. Head to squarespace.com slash mental for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code mental to save 10% off your first purchase 
of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash mental and also offer code mental. And now the rest of the episode from 2011. The website, as I've mentioned for the show, is mentalpod.com. There's a forum there. There's the surveys you can take. You can uh, support the show non-financially is uh, going to iTunes and giving us a good rating and a good review. That uh, boosts our ranking and that brings more people to the show. And the show has been growing a little bit every week. And uh, that's that's really cool. It's really nice to know that uh, the people are enjoying uh, what what we do here. And uh, that really brings a brings a smile to my face, especially on the days when I'm uh, feeling a little down. And uh, I have to say, it, since I've start, gone back on Selexa, the, the last show that we did, I kind of mentioned that I was in this really dark place where uh, suicide wasn't becoming a reality, but it, I was starting to fantasize about it a little bit. And uh, I knew that that was the darkness talking. And uh, so I went back on Selexa. I'm feeling great. And I've just had a really good week of feeling like I am enough. And that is such a great place to be. Um, it takes work. It takes fucking work sometimes to get there and to stay there. Um, and I never stay there. I always slide back. But knowing that I can get to that place is so comforting to know that it is possible to have moments, even days, even weeks or months of feeling like I am enough, I have enough, and, I, and I'm doing enough. And I know that sounds kind of new agey, but uh, that's the... That's the fucking truth. Um, so let's take it out with a, uh, a survey respondent. His name is uh, Jimmy. He's straight. He's in his 20s. His, uh, the environment he was raised in was a little dysfunctional. He's never been the victim of sexual abuse. Uh, his darkest thoughts uh, that I will... It says, uh, you know, not things that you would act on, but uh, things you're ashamed to admit you think about. He says that I will kill my pets, that I will hurt my wife. Um and uh, what are your deepest, darkest secrets, things you have done, things that have happened to you? He writes, when I was a teenager, I masturbated a lot, often in inappropriate places. Um, and then, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes that I was stupid and that someone had to have seen me. Uh, maybe it's just my take, Jimmy, but I... I wonder how anybody can get through their teenage years not masturbating in an inappropriate place. Uh, I'm just going to list some of the places I remember jerking off. Not where people could see me. Uh, you know, it was usually dark. It was usually at night. Uh, sometimes during the day when, you know, nobody's around. But um, backyard, driveway, beach, uh, into Lake Michigan. <laughs> Sorry, anybody that's drinking Lake Michigan water. There's filters. Um, I wonder how many listeners I'm losing right now. Um, and maybe the one that, that comes closest to making me feel uh, a lot of shame was in a van of friends uh, coming home from skiing in Colorado in, in high school. Everybody was asleep, and it's just the, those teenage hormones were just raging. And, uh, you know, I had a bunch of blankets covering me, so nobody could see anything, and everybody was knotted out anyway. But, yeah, there you have it. Um you know what? It might be easier to actually list the places I didn't jerk off as a teenager. Uh, church, Wrigley Field, and the Hoover Dam. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck, you're feeling ashamed, you're feeling self-hatred, let it go. And if you can't let it go, get some help. Because there is help and there is hope. And you are not alone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.